Sacred City Life podcast. My name is Justin Dean. I'm your host, and today with me is Pastor Samuel Schmidt, pastor of Sacred City Moline. And it's been a little bit since we've uh, done a podcast. It's been a busy few weeks. Yeah, we've been real busy around here. And um, today we want to talk about the marks of biblical manhood. If you look at the statistics for the, the, the sexes, male and female, and the success rate and the uh, college graduation rate, um, women are far, um, out, they're outsurpassing men. Um, more ladies are graduating college every year than men by far. And um, many men don't know how to be men. Um, and so we've kind of just, we're sitting on our hands. We're, we're taking a back seat. We're trying to figure things out, let the women do what they want to do. And we're just going to kind of coast. And um, this was kind of depicted in a movie from about 15, 20 years ago uh, called Fight Club. And in it, you've got Edward Norton and uh, Brad Pitt. And Fight Club deconstructed the cultural definition of manhood at the time. Um, you, you've got Edward Norton in there, and he, he, you know, he does what he's told. So he goes to school, and then he goes to college, and then he gets a job, and then he gets an apartment, and then he gets his IKEA furniture, and then he gets supposed to get a relationship. But he kind of is haunted by this question: Then what? Right? And then what? And he kind of made a joke out of this cultural definition of manhood. Brad Pitt famously says, you are not your freaking khakis. And it's kind of rebelling against the cultural status quo of manhood. This is what a man is. And, and, and the writer and the director are rebelling against that and saying, no, that's not what a man is. But we could ask ourselves this. What definition did Fight Club put in its place? Well, at the best, it put anarchy. It put chaos. Men doing primal things, you know, starting underground fight clubs and beating themselves into oblivion. Mm -hmm. There, you know, it, so it, it can deconstruct, but it didn't construct anything positive. It didn't, it did, it rejected traditional responsibilities of marriage and family. Um, and the reason it did this, if you, don't, if you know anything about it, is because it's coming from a postmodern worldview. And postmodern worldviews are deconstructionist, but they fail to put anything worth emulating back in their place because they don't have God. They don't have a theological starting point. You even see this in the movie where Brad Pitt says to Edward Norton, he's having this crisis, and he says, if our fathers are our models for God, what does that tell you about God? And this is the postmodern worldview where it's using the mirror of masculinity, the mirror of manhood in the wrong direction, mm. right? It's saying, look at our failed fathers that have failed us and what jokes they are. What does that tell you about God? Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you can use a mirror two ways. Well, the correct way to use a mirror is to look at God and say, what should our fathers be like? What should our men be like, mm -hmm. right? And so that's what we want to do. We want to go to God and learn what does it mean to be a man, <clears throat> um, study his word, look to Jesus, who was the ultimate man, right? And at Sacred City, Sam and I both are passionate about helping young men and old men grow up into godliness. Yeah. That means grow up into a biblical man 
who leads and serves like Jesus. And I've read a lot of books on this topic. I got a few sitting here. And when I find a good resource, I like to share it. I consume books pretty quickly, but most people don't have that kind of time or that kind of app reading appetite. And so when I can find something potent, um, I like to share it. And I found, I think I found that, or I have found that as I shared this probably six years ago, the first time I shared it, but it's a post by, um, Dr. Al Moeller. Um, Al Moeller is the president of Southern Seminary, leads Boyce College too, I think, oversees that at least. And he's been responsible for a resurgent in the, I mean, really turning that seminary around to, to, to once again, have conservative biblical values. And, um, it's the largest, now it's the largest seminary in the world, I think. And I think they're doing a pretty good job of raising up young men. So we're going to look at this, um, this article that he posted called Marks of Biblical Manhood. I'm going to go point by point through that. But before I do that, I want to just share, somebody asked me like, how do you learn to be a, a man? How do you learn that? And just like with all the, it's really a virtue. And if you go back and you study virtues, virtues are, virtues are like throwing a fastball. Okay. Um, you don't learn to throw a fastball by reading a book. Okay. You learn to throw a fastball by practice over and over and over. And you learn virtue through practice. But before you can practice, you have to have an imagination that's been shaped by a biblical image of, or a biblical vision of yeah. manhood. Even for throwing a fastball, somebody's got to tell you how to throw a fastball. You somebody's got to see somebody do it. Either. Yeah, you got to see that thing. What? That thing can curve like that? Oh, yeah, I want to do that. You got to have it in your imagination before you can actually mm-hmm. practice it. And many of us, because we were, we were raised by fathers who weren't biblical men, didn't have a biblical definition of masculinity, we don't have that image in our mind. Um, and so we need, to, we need to go back and say, well, what does that look like? Today we're going to look at like 13 different marks of biblical manhood from an article. Um, this will be good, I think, to walk through, to talk through. But for me, what's been more formative is immersing myself in books that have biblical men depicted in a story-formed way, mm. okay? Uh, and obviously, I talk a lot about Lord of the Rings because it's so easy to, to see it in the Lord of the Rings. Um, C.S. Lewis said about Lord of the Rings that one of the reasons he liked it so much is the characters' insides were depicted by their outsides, mm. So you can just see who the good guys and the bad guys are mm. in the Lord of the Rings, right? Like, look at this elf, this elf's purity and his wisdom, and he just looks like that type of person yeah. from the outside. And you look at orcs, and orcs look horrible because yeah. their insides are projected on their outsides. Mm. It's really interesting. And I've learned more about friendship and being a biblical man from reading Lord of the Rings every single year um, than I have by just seeing a list of of manhood traits because I see, Oh, that's what a real man does under pressure. Mm-hmm. He doesn't turn over his friends. He doesn't give it, you know, he, he keeps going. So stories help us with this. And then obviously seeing real life examples. If you don't have a father that depicted this for you, seeing it in your missional community, you're a young man and you say, I want to know what it means to be a man, a godly man. Look for a godly man who's loving well and leading well. And in some of the traits that we're about to display, he's showing those and go emulate him, mm. hang out at his house, Eat dinner with him. 
Um, go work out with this guy. Get around this guy as much as you can, especially when he's around his wife, so you can see how a biblical man leads. Yeah. And so really it, it comes with like saturating your imagination with real life examples or um, examples from books and stories of what good godly men look like. So you can say, oh, okay, that's what a man looks like. And then ultimately it comes down to practice, practice, practice. When you fail, repent, mm. trust Christ, and let's do it all over again. And that's what it's going to be. So that's our little intro. And uh, we're going to jump into this article. It's called Marks of Biblical Manhood by Al Mohler. You can Google it. I think he wrote it about six or seven years ago. I'm going to be quoting him now. When does a boy become a man? The answer to this must go far beyond biology and chronological age. As defined in the Bible, manhood is a functional reality demonstrated in a man's fulfillment of responsibility and leadership. With this in mind, let me suggest 13 marks of biblical manhood. The achievement of these vital qualities marks the emergence of a man who will demonstrate true biblical masculinity. Sam, would you take us to the first one there? Yeah, the first mark he starts out with is spiritual maturity sufficient to lead a wife and children. And goes on to say, The Bible is clear about a man's responsibility to exercise spiritual maturity and spiritual leadership. Of course, this spiritual maturity takes time to develop, and it is a gift of the Holy Spirit working within the life of the believer. The disciplines of the Christian life, including prayer and serious Bible study, are among the means God uses to mold a boy into a man and to bring spiritual maturity into the life of one who is charged to lead a wife and family. The spiritual leadership is central to the Christian vision of marriage and family life. A man's spiritual leadership is not a matter of uh, dictator. Say that for me. <laughs> Dictatorial. Dictatorial power, but of firm and credible spiritual leadership and influence. A man must be ready to lead his wife and his children in a way that will honor God, demonstrate godliness. Uh, inculcate Christian character and lead his family to desire Christ and to seek God's glory. Spiritual maturity is a mark of true Christian manhood, and a spiritually immature man is, in at least this crucial sense, spiritually just a boy. Okay, so number one, spiritual maturity sufficient to lead a wife and children. Now, this is kind of an umbrella term. It could really house everything else that we're going to talk about. Yes, absolutely. Because our spiritual life isn't just, you know, our prayer life or something. Our Mm -hmm. spiritual life is our whole life because everything is spiritual. There is no sacred, secular divide. But what Moeller is getting at here is we could just make it really practical. Like um, a young man needs to know the Bible. Right. Right. He needs to be theologically informed, Mm -hmm. uh, well thought, well read. He needs to have a, a, a vital prayer life that he's actually communing with God. He knows God and God knows him. And he's de- he's a dependent man, a man dependent on the spirit. Um, he's not arrogant, right? He, right? He's developing the fruit of the spirit as he trusts in Christ and trusts the spirit and, and pushes away from his flesh. Um, and he's not just like, this is a guy that's not just able to keep away from porn. Right. But this is a guy who can provide spiritually for others. So when somebody's in trouble, he can share the gospel with them. Yeah. When, when is, you know, ultimately when your child uh, is confused, you're going to bring direction there. Yeah. 
So it's a man with money in the bank, right? Money in the spiritual bank. He's studied enough. He's read enough. He's been enough with the, with Jesus that he doesn't just have enough to get him through the day, but he's got enough to help others get through the day too. Right. Absolutely. And he doesn't see this as sort of a, well, when he talks about being a credible spiritual leader and influence, it's not just, okay, this has been appointed to you. You've been, you've been labeled as a leader. This is something that you live into by embodying the biblical wisdom that you find in. And I'm just going to answer a question that I've already got about this. Well, what if I don't have a wife? What if I don't have a girlfriend? How, How do I learn this? Uh, biblical masculinity is learned while you're leading and laying down your life for your wife. Mm-hmm. You, I said you can't lead. You and I'm in a sermon a couple weeks back, you can't learn biblical masculinity on a football field. But if you're single, you can learn this in a sense by laying down your life for your Christian sisters right. in your church missional community, in your church family. You can begin to practice some of these things. So there's a single mother. You could, you could begin to uh, help her out spiritually, right? Help her kids out spiritually. People in your missional community, you, you're beginning to um, lead people, mm-hmm. right, towards spiritual maturity. So this is one way that you could learn it if you're single. Secondly, second characteristic, personal maturity sufficient to be a responsible husband and father. Moeller says, true masculinity is not a matter of exhibiting supposedly masculine characteristics devoid of the context of responsibility. In the Bible, a man is called to fill his role as husband and father. Unless granted the gift of celibacy for gospel service, the Christian boy is to aim for marriage and fatherhood. This is assuredly a countercultural assertion, but the role of husband and father is central to manhood. Marriage is unparalleled in its effect on men as it channels their energies and directs their responsibilities to the devoted covenant of marriage and the grace-filled civilization of the family. They must aspire to be the kind of man a Christian woman would gladly marry and children will trust, respect, and obey. Moeller's getting on this. I've heard this said before. Men are like trucks. They drive straighter when they have a heavy load back. And, and so what Moeller's getting at is here, you don't wait until you get a spouse before you get responsible. Right. Like you don't waste all of your money and then hope to find a spouse and then start being responsible. You don't live in your mom's basement, play video games all the time, watch everything everybody else is watching on Netflix, and then expect to all of a sudden be responsible when the time comes. Now, just getting married that does add responsibility and that does help us drive straighter and carry heavy loads. But young men, you can be doing those things. Now you can be saving for a house. You can be buying a house. You can be, uh, having a good solid budget. You should be giving generously to the church. You should be, um, you have less responsibilities than the married people in your missional community. You should be helping them out. Mm -hmm. You should be extending yourself taking on more responsibility, stepping into avenues of leadership. This is how we grow as a man. You got anything to add to that? For sure. Well, I, I think part of this is instilling um, a desire for the boys in your home to grow up into the type of man that you're wanting to be. So you, not only are you taking steps to become a man 
but you're wanting to help your boys come into manhood themselves. And also even for if you've got daughters um, to create, to be a type of man that they want to go out and find a husband that's like their dad Absolutely. in that sense where he can carry responsibility. Absolutely. All right. Number three, go ahead. You take number that one, Sam. Three. <clears throat> Economic maturity sufficient to hold an adult job and handle money. Yes, here we go. Advertisers and marketers know where to aim their messages directly at the adolescent boys and young men. This this particular segment of the population is inordinately attracted to material goods, popular entertainment, sporting events, and other consumer options. The portrait of young manhood made popular in the media and presented as normal through entertainment is characterized by economic carelessness, self-centeredness, and laziness. A real man knows how to hold a job, handle money, with responsibility, and take care of the needs of his wife and family. A failure to develop economic maturity means that Young men often floating from job to job, and it takes years to find themselves in terms of career and vocation. Once again, an extended adolescence marks a huge segment of today's young male population. Slothfulness, laziness, and economic carelessness are marks of immaturity. A real man knows how to earn, manage, and respect money. A Christian man understands the danger that comes from the love of money and fulfills his responsibility as a Christian steward. Now, this is interesting here. Economic maturity sufficient to hold an adult job and handle money. Um, that in itself is probably an offensive statement. I remember saying to a young man one time, he was in school, he had just gotten married, and he was working at a coffee shop. And I just said, so when, when are you going to get, you know, what, what's it look like for you to get your big boy job? You know, and I wasn't meaning that to be demeaning. Mm-hmm. I was like, no grown man or very few grown men are going to be able to support a wife and family by working at a coffee shop. Now there's nothing demeaning about working in a coffee shop. It's a great place to work. You know what I mean? It's a fun place to work. It's making good coffee is just as important as making good anything, right? It's great, but you're probably not making that much money, you know? And he got really offended by that and actually left, left the church. Um, it's, it's crazy to think of it, but but that's the reality. There are some jobs, men, that are not what we would call an adult man job that can support a a a, a child or you know a family and child. And so you, we have got to be shaping our um, toolbox in order to maximize some income potentials. Now, obviously, we're not talking about you know worshiping money and going overboard, but you've got to make, you need to make enough to support a wife and kids. So what does that mean? Here's one thing it means. It might mean going to school and getting a degree. That's one avenue. But this is something that I see people forsaking now is they, everybody wants to be some kind of, if you want to make your money on the internet, make your money on the internet. If you want to make your money as, you know, taking pictures, take pictures, being a photographer, do all those things. But one avenue that I see men almost bypassing these days is that of a trade. Mm-hmm. You know, personally, myself, when I was in college, I had a guy bring me under his wing, taught me taught me carpentry, taught me how to build homes. And that skill has been so helpful for me to make money on the side, to make money for to fix up my own home. 
And some men, if you're not a college guy, you don't have to be a college guy. Pick up a trade. It's a God-glorifying career vocation to be an electrician, to be in HVAC, to be a carpenter, to be in concrete, to be in construction, to be in remodeling. And I could go down the list. But men, you have got to have a big enough vision for your life that, that the economic potential for leading a wife and leading children is there. Yeah. Right. And there's some, there's some, um, segments of, of, you know, vocation or whatever. I don't know what I'm looking for. The word I'm looking for there that just aren't going to pay the bills. Right. They're not. I mean, everybody loves ice cream. Mm -hmm. You go work at an ice cream shop and you know, you're going to be broke. You don't don't see too many grown men working at Whitey's. No, you don't. You don't. Plus the outfit. (laughs) Dudes don't do that. For sure. Well, what you see here is we're talking about a stewardship of our male, our maleness, right? We want to lean into the leadership responsibilities that's inevitably going to trickle down to money and how well we can manage our money. And part of leading our families out is our, this is part of credible leadership, right? I don't know if a wife really wants to trust her husband if he's blowing money on video games and making foolish decisions, right? That's part of instilling trust and, and being responsible. And it comes right down to, to the wallet. It's really important. Yeah. And we've seen men step in. I remember a young man in our missional, commu- missional community. He wasn't that young, but he had fa- he had several kids, and and um, he was working at a used video game store. And we just said, "Bro, you are not going to be able to financially provide for your family by working at a used video game store." And by God's grace, this guy's manned up, got a big boy job, and started providing for his family. And it was it was a huge evidence of God's grace. Mm. Number four, biblical mark of manhood: physical maturity. Sufficient to work and protect a family. Unless afflicted by injury or illness, a boy should develop the physical maturity that by stature and strength marks recognizable manhood. Of course, men come in many sizes and demonstrate different levels of physical strength, but common to all men is a maturity through which a man demonstrates his masculinity by movement, confidence, and strength. A man must be ready to put his physical strength on the line to protect his wife and children and to fulfill his God-assigned tasks. A boy must be taught to channel his developing strength and emerging size into a self-consciousness of responsibility, recognizing that adult strength is to be combined with adult responsibility and true maturity. Here, Moeller is getting at this idea that men were created by God to lead and to initiate and to protect um, their wives and their family. And um, I think it's a great, you know, we could be talking about this, like just being physically able to do it, being physically fit enough Mm -hmm. that you could protect your family if you needed to. This is kind of a silly illustration, but I'm going to use it anyways. A couple years ago, we were coming home from Colorado. And I was driving my wife's van with all the kids in the back. And we, and all of a sudden, my, the, 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 the steering wheel starts shaking. It's like 96 degrees out. Um, I look down and, I, and then I, I look past the steering wheel and I realize I'm out of, I've ran, I've ran the van out of gas. Okay. <laughs> this is not a mark of biblical manhood right here. <laughs> I ran the van out of gas. I'm sandwiched in by semis. And the only way I can go is pull over into the middle, the median on the interstate. Okay. I pull over, it's like I said, 97 degrees, immediately starts getting hot in the van. And I knew I saw a gas station about a mile back and there was nothing anywhere near. 
And immediately I'm in my sandals and it's super hot. I got four kids in the back and I look at Amanda and said, I've ran the van out of gas, locked the door. I usually carry a firearm with me. I'm like, the firearm is here if you need it for anything. I'll be back as soon as I can. I'm going to get gas. And I had to turn and I had to run a mile in one direction, get a gallon of gas. And then thankfully I got a ride back to the van, got it in gas. But that's just, thankfully I, you know, I work out, I run, I I do things that I have the physical fitness capable of protecting my family in a situation like that. Now I made a big dumb decision and all of that. So that's not the greatest part of our later discussion here, being (laughs) able to identify your mistakes and learn from them. (laughs) There we go. So physical maturity, as you men grow up and have broad shoulders, we need to carry responsibility. Um, for our families. Go ahead. Number, yeah, five. number five, sexual maturity sufficient to marry and fulfill God's purposes. Even as the society celebrates sex in every form and at every age, the true Christian man practices sexual integrity, avoiding pornography, fornication, all forms of sexual promiscuity and corruption. He understands the danger of lust, but rejoices in the sexual capacity and reproductive power God has put within him committing himself to find a wife and to earn her love, trust, and, and ad- admiration, and eventually to win her hand in marriage. It is critical that men respect this incredible gift and to protect this gift until, within the context of holy marriage, they are able to fulfill this gift, love their wives, and look to God's gift of children. Male sexuality separated from the context and integrity of marriage is an explosive and dangerous reality. The boys must understand, even as he travels through the road of puberty and an awakened sexuality, that he is (coughs) accountable to God for his stewardship of this great gift. And this is such a problem that we see just all over the place. Yeah, and obviously Moeller's writing to young men, but this problem is not just a young man's problem. And none of these really are just young men's problems. Um, Pornography is addictive. It's destructive. It's it objectifies women. Um, it rot. It literally ruins our brain. Mm-hmm. It rewires the neural patterns in our brain to turn us on to things. There's if you watch pornography, you know you're probably turned on by fake things. Yeah, women who are less real turn you on. Mm-hmm. That's a huge problem. Um, John Mayer, good looking, successful. Could get a lot of different could could get a lot of different women, but in a, in an article a few years back, I think it was actually um, I can't remember if it was in Playboy or somewhere like that. I wasn't reading it. I got I, I got it. I saw the article, but I don't read Playboy. Um, but he said this. He said real women don't turn me on anymore. He says it takes too much work to be with a real woman. I would rather I would rather take care of myself and look at pornography. Mm. And that is a. I mean, it, it just, it just, uh, it's devastating, yeah. right? And it's devastating men. Like that's not what a man does. God gave you your sexuality to pursue one woman, to love her and to have sex with her, right? right? And mm-hmm. to make children and have a lot of fun and be united with her for the rest of your life. You know, like, um, be studies show evangelical men who are married to one woman have more sex than anybody else in, in the country. 
statistically mm. because we've got one woman we're pursuing her for her her whole life yeah right and i'll tell you you get better with age right huh, well you know you get <laughs> you get better with practice right That's so right. young men find a woman pursue her lay your life down for her seek purity and do everything in your power to fight pornography it is and it don't think just because you get married once once you get married you'll figure it out right Right. The pull towards pornography, the pull towards um, sexualized fantasies towards women will always be a problem. Yes, will always be a struggle. You've got to you got to start fighting it now. Um, marriage won't solve that. <clears throat> All right, number six, biblical masculinity. Here we go. Number six characteristic: moral maturity. Sufficient to lead as example of righteousness. Stereotypical male behavior on the part of young males is in the main marked by recklessness, irresponsibility, and worse. As a boy grows into manhood, he must develop moral maturity as he aspires to righteousness. Learning to think like a Christian, act like a Christian, and show others how to do the same. The Christian man is to be an example to others, teaching by both precept and example. Of course, this requires the exercise of responsible moral reasoning. True moral education begins with a clear understanding of moral standards, but must move to the higher level of moral reasoning by which a young man learns how biblical principles are translated into godly living mm -hmm. and how the moral challenges of his day must be met with the truths revealed in God's and inherent and infallible rule. Okay, here's what he's saying. Moral maturity sufficient to lead as an example of righteousness. Legalism is not virtue. Of Legalism is having a list of things that are bad and having a list of things that are good and just trying to do things on the positive list. The problem with that is the real world. Very rarely in the real world does the decisions we face on a daily basis you know, fall into those simple categories. Most of the, or a lot of the time, obviously some things, you know, pornography, bad, right? Mm. We, can, we can do that. But then you get into Instagram. Okay, well, what about Instagram? Because Instagram, they don't allow nudity, but, well, what about if these pictures that of these people that I'm following, CrossFitters, MMA people, whoever it is, what about, what if these pictures... Um, they're not necessarily sinful because they're not nude, but they are stirring in me a desire to go look at other things or they're mm. stirring in me lust. Now, this is what this is what moral maturity looks like. This is what developing virtue looks like. It's not legalism. Oh, that's, it, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. That's how an adolescent thinks. You have to think deeper than that. You have to look in the gray area and to be yeah. able to balance. What is this doing to my soul? Mm -hmm. Is this making me into the man that I want to be or is this pulling me, is this detracting from the man I want to be? Virtue is practicing, right? You, you become a virtuous person by practice, by practice, by practice. And this moral maturity is the ability not just to say good, bad, but to put it on a, a gradient and go, you know what? I just don't think that's helpful for me. Yeah. And I, I'm desiring some young men to go, you know what? I'm not even into Netflix. That's not helpful for, for me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start reading for an hour at night instead of Netflixing it yeah. or spending all my time on Facebook or spending all my time on Instagram. That's just not helpful for right. me. That's what, it's, that's what he's talking about, moral maturity. All right, number seven, number halfway. Seven. 
ethical maturity sufficient to make responsible decisions. To be a man is to make decisions. One of the most fundamental tasks of leadership is decision-making. The indecisiveness of so many contemporary males is evidence of a stunned, stunted manhood. Of course, a man does not rush into a decision without thought, consideration, or care, but a man does put himself on the line in making a decision and making it stick. This requires an extension of moral responsibility into mature ethical decision-making that brings glory to God, is faithful to God's word, and is open to moral scrutiny. A real man knows how to make a decision and to live with its consequences, even if that means that he must later acknowledge that he has learned by making a bad decision and then by making the appropriate correction. Man, this is, this is a big deal. It takes guts to be a man. You've got to make responsible decisions. Should I buy a house? Should I not buy a house? Should I move into that neighborhood? Should I we not move into that neighborhood? Should I get an apartment? Should I, should I take that job? Should I take this internship? Should I pursue that woman? And it takes risk. And I, I was just talking to a friend of mine, um, successful in business, and he, he's been counseling young men at our church. And he, he said, man, so many of the young men that I'm meeting with are risk averse. They don't want to take risk. And part of being a man is willing to take risks mm. and make decisions. And, and part of that is because they, they were raised in this idea that you can have it all and that anytime you make a decision, what you're saying, if you choose A, you're also choosing not B, not C, not D, not E. Mm-hmm. And so to make a decision cuts off all your other options. And that's, that can be scary, yeah. right? It can be really scary. But it also opens you up to pursue A, right? And to go with it with, with right. some gumption and some mm-hmm. gusto. And there's some men... Who, you know, you need to start a business. You need to be an entrepreneur. You need to take a risk. You need to get out there. And that's what men are called to do. They're called to lead. They're called to initiate. They're called to go out there and tame something wild. And yeah, it, you, it, that causes, uh, you know, tackling some fears. You know what? I've got this quote here that I keep up in my office. It is a very well-known quote by Theodore Re- Ro- Teddy Roosevelt. It says this, the man. it's called the man in the arena. You know this. Quote, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause. That's a great idea of a man right there, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who need no, who neither know victory nor defeat. Mm. Teddy. Um, yeah. That's yeah. what a man does. He pulls the trigger. He makes decisions. He goes out there and tries something hard. That's one of the things I tell my son. But it's hard, Dad. Yes, good. We do hard things. Yeah. At the, in this house, we do hard things. You do hard things, and then hard things become easier to do. Right. And then you do harder things. 
That's a part of being a man. Yes, for sure. I love it. All right, number eight. A worldview maturity sufficient to understand what is really important. Moeller says this, an inversion of values marks our postmodern age. And the predicament of modern manhood is made all the more perplexing by the fact that many men lack the capacity of consistent worldview thinking. For the Christian, this is doubly tragic. For our Christian discipleship must be demonstrated in the development of a Christian mind. The Christian man must understand how to interpret and evaluate issues across the spectrum of politics, economics, morality, entertainment, education, and a seemingly endless list of other fields. The absence of consistent biblical worldview thinking is a key mark of spiritual immaturity. A boy must learn how to translate Christian truth into genuine Christian thinking. He must learn how to defend biblical truth before his peers and in the public square, and he must acquire the ability to extend Christian thinking based on biblical principles to every arena of life. Yeah, this is really just taking on the responsibility to identify and to give yourself to things that are shaping your worldview, that are worth studying and worth inquiring and worth growing in. And I think a lot of the times, we, if we're not intentional about what, what we allow to shape our world, we're just going to inherit things Absolutely. from other places. Uh, uh, and so I, I think for men especially, being conscious of what's coming in your ears. Like, what are you listening to? Are you listening to talk radio more than you're listening to you know, preaching or, or podcasts that are talking about life and theology and discipleship, like what, what monitoring our intake of these things that are really shaping us. Yeah. David Foster Wallace, famous American, um, author, high thinker. <clears throat> he gave this the example, two fish swimming mm. and, uh, one fish swims up to the other fish and says, how's the water? And the other fish looks at him and goes, what's water? Yeah. Right, and what he's getting across is, we take we we take for granted our worldviews, the things that we. I mean, we're swimming in cultural waters right now, yeah. And so many of us, and if you're raised, this is funny. If you're raised in like a Republican home, you cannot conceive probably of Democrat values, and and how could they possibly think that? Mm-hmm. And vice versa. If you're raised in a more, dem- more you know, Democrat, more liberal household, you cannot understand how they think in these these ways. If you're raised in the church, you cannot think how people outside the church think. Whatever. But there are many things in our society that are influencing us: consumerism, individualism, um, that we don't even we don't even recognize that they're they're all the way in the church mm-hmm. and they're influencing us. And so we have to have a worldview that's biblically informed that can cr- critique our own current cultural worldview that we have today, yeah. like individualism and yeah. consumerism to, to name two. Um, and you do that by understanding the story of God, by studying worldview, uh, listening. There's a lot of good uh, cultural commentators out there. Al Mohler's one of them that you can listen to. All right, let's go on to number nine. Number nine, relational maturity sufficient to understand and respect others. Al Mohler says, Psychologists now talk of emotional intelligence, or EQ, as a major factor in personal development. While the world has given much attention to IQ, EQ is just as important. 
Individuals who lack the ability to relate to others are destined to fail at some of life's most significant challenges and will not fulfill some of their most important responsibilities and roles. By nature, many boys are inwardly directed. While girls learn how to read emotional signals and connect, many boys lack the capacity to do so and seemingly fail to understand the absence of these skills. While a man is to demonstrate emotional strength, consistency, and steadfastness, he must be able to relate to his wife, his children, his peers, his colleagues, and a host of others in a way that demonstrates respect, understanding, and appropriate empathy. This will not be learned by playing video games and by entering into a privatized world experienced by many male adolescents. Yeah, relational maturity, another or emotional maturity. He's calling it emotional intelligence. We don't learn this in the locker room. Right. Um, you can't learn this through technology. That's one thing that they're studying right now. We learn emotional intelligence by looking at people's faces and seeing when we say something, how they their face contorts. Mm-hmm. That's how we learn compassion. Oh, I just said something, and I think I, I just hurt their feelings, you know? And emojis don't make up for that? Oh, man, that's, that's uh, a good question. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, possibly. <laughs> Probably not. Um, so as men, we need to... We need to be emotionally intelligent. We need to grow up emotionally. And and many of us, you know, we have depressed and angry. Mm-hmm. And those are the only two emotions we had. I think about nine years ago, that's about where I was at. And uh, didn't know the spectrum of emotions that went between there. There's a whole lot going on there. I remember when I started meeting with a counselor, uh, he made me Google emotions. Google a list of emotions and, and study what these compassion, fear, anxiety, mm. right? Sadness, grief, loss. Uh, all, there's all these different emotions in there and I need to learn how to express them. Uh, and my wife helped me with that. Being in a missional community helped me with that. Talking with a counselor helped me with that. Reading books like Emotionally Healthy Spirituality helped me with that. Um, and this is, this is important. Um, if you look at men, men have always been labeled emotionally immature. And it is a cultural stereotype. Is It is not um, a biblical definition of manhood. I think we have two predominant concepts of manhood. On the one, hot, one, one side, you have the old John Wayne. He's the strong and silent type. Mm. He goes to work. He kills bad guys. He brings a paycheck home, but he doesn't, you know, he rides off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. He, doesn't, he loves a woman for a, a night or two, but not his whole life, mm. right? You can't tame the cowboy. You got that idea of manhood, and then you've got this, the mook is what they call him, and he is the Adam Sandler, the Will Ferrell. He is every, nearly every guy on sitcoms these days, or, or funny shows, are is the mook. He's the guy who shuns responsibility, he's a complete idiot, he's funny, he mm-hmm. does dumb things, we love to laugh at him, actually I don't, I hate him, I can't stand him. I don't watch any of those movies. They drive me crazy because I see those traits in too many young men yeah. and it repulses me. So I don't laugh at it. I don't think it's funny at all. Um, but our, this is this is the two ideas of manhood and guys bounce between, well, I'm not the strong and silent type, so I guess I'm going to act like this moron and just be the funny guy who mm. plays the video games and, you know, it, it's fun. 
we got to push away from that and we've got to step into a category that maybe we don't see around us very often. And that's the emotionally connected, the emotionally healthy, the emotionally mature man who can read people, who can care for people's needs, who can draw out emotions in other people. Mm. Look at Jesus. Jesus is always crying. He's weeping. He's getting angry. Right? He's yeah. passionate. He's got all the spectrums of emotion. Same with David in the Psalms. You read David, you're like, this dude was ahead of the curve, the head of the curve, man. <laughs> he was in touch with his emotions. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I could go on about that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Get emotionally healthy, dudes. Number 10, social maturity sufficient to make a contribution to society. Moeller writes, while the arena of the home is an essential and inescapable focus of a man's responsibility... He is also called out of the home, into the workplace, in the larger world as a witness, and as one who will make a contribution to the common good. God has created human beings as social creatures. And even though our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, we must also fulfill our citizenship on earth. A boy must learn to fulfill a political responsibility as a citizen and a moral responsibility as a member of a human community. The Christian man bears a civilizational responsibility and boys must be taught to see themselves as shapers of the society, even as the church is identified by our Lord as both salt and light. Similarly, a Christian man must learn how to relate to unbelievers, both as witness and as a fellow citizen of an earthly kingdom. This is interesting. When Moeller's building off of a great tradition in the Reformed world. Well, it's not in that. It's just the biblical world. When Jesus said, when we say Jesus is Lord, that was a political statement. Mm. In that culture, it meant Jesus is Lord, Caesar isn't. Caesar has my second loyalty under, under Jesus. And Christians have a political calling. We're called to relate to whatever nation we're a part of, and we're called to seek out the good of the city, to seek out the good of the nation. We're called to step into politics. We should be aware of the worldviews, again, of the Republican Party, Democratic Party, Independent Party. Um, we should not give ourselves over to either one of those parties because the Christian is something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should be aware and we should be working towards making our city a better place Um fulfilling roles of government, stepping up in our neighborhood, um, a lot of different ways. Yes, when to you do step that. foot in your, your neighborhood, your city, you ask the question, what's my role here? What can I contribute? What are the giftings and the insights that God's given me with that I can step in and add value uh, mm. to the lives of the people around me? That's great. So the man, a biblical man, adds value wherever he's at. You're in an apartment complex, how can I make this place better? Yeah. Right? You're going to a gym. How can I make this place better? You're in an office. How can I make this place better? That's what a man does. Leads, initiates. Doesn't just come to take a paycheck, but wants to add value right. wherever he goes. And not just gripe about the things that aren't right, but actually step into them and add that value. And the men place. who add value, dude, they're leaders. People want them. They're going to eventually probably attract the ladies <laughs> and make more money, yeah. right? That's the key, man. Be a guy who steps in. Whatever you step in, step in and make the place better. <clears throat> okay. 11 is pretty unique, I think. Verbal maturity <coughs> sufficient to communicate and articulate as a man. A man must be able to speak, to be able to understand and to communicate in a way that will honor God and convey God's truth to others. 
Beyond the context of conversation, a boy must learn how to speak before larger groups, overcoming the natural intimidation and fear that comes from looking at a crowd, opening one's mouth, and projecting words. Though not all men will become public speakers, every man should have the ability to take his ground, frame his words, and make his case when truth is under fire and when belief and conviction must be translated into argument. I think this is just something that I I wouldn't have never thought of unless it were for Al Mohler talking about. And I really think this comes out of what we talk about with worldview mm. and having an understanding of your worldview, having the ability to, to you know, press back against conflicting worldviews. Uh, and I think that this is really very important. Yeah, and so again, it comes from... Um ethics and virtue language comes from philosophy comes from back in the day when we were when society itself was creating geniuses you know like Michelangelo right and geniuses like Galileo they had things called the liberal arts um, it was a classical way of educating um, there's been a resurgence of this classical way of educating again basically as a child you are learn you, you learn grammar you learn you learn information and then you you kind of mature a little bit, and then you learn logic, and that's what he's talking. So logic, um, things that make logical sense. You know, you learn about logical fallacies. You learn uh, how how to reason, right? And then in like upper school, you learn rhetoric, and what that. So first off, you've got all the content. You know, kids can just memorize, memorize, memorize facts. My kid knows more facts about the United States government than I do. Right. He knows more fact. He can name all the states in order. He can do all this stuff. He's memorized the Gettysburg Address. He's just got all this stuff in his brain, but he doesn't really know what it means. But then as he's growing up in junior high and stuff, he starts learning logic and how to put the pieces together. And then he grows in as a um, uh, in rhetoric. And now he knows how to make arguments to prove his case. Yeah. So it's it's teaching people not just what to think but teaching them how to think mm-hmm. and then how to express what they think in a clear and compelling way. Yeah. And this is what we're lacking in our society. Everybody just yells their truth as loud as they can and they don't know how to listen and argue and process and make a, make a good case. Yeah. And so I, I, I love that he put this in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number 12. Character maturity sufficient to demonstrate courage under fire. The literature of manhood is replete with stories of courage, bravery, and audacity. At least that's the way it used to be. Now with manhood, both minimalized and marginalized by cultural elites, ideological subversion and media confusion, we must recapture a commitment to courage that is translated into the real-life challenges faced by the Christian man. At times, this quality of courage is demonstrated when a man risks his own life in defense of others, especially his wife and children, but also anyone who is in need of rescue. More often, the courage is demonstrated by taking a stand under hostile fire, refusing to succumb to the temptation of silence and standing as a model and example to others who will then be encouraged to stand their own ground. In these days, biblical manhood requires great courage. The prevailing ideologies and worldviews of this age are inherently hostile to Christian truth and are corrosive to Christian faithfulness. It takes great courage for a boy to commit himself to sexual purity and for a man to devote himself unreservedly to his wife. 
It takes great courage to say no to what this culture insists are the right pleasures and delights of the flesh. It takes courage to serve as a godly husband and father, to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It takes courage to maintain personal integrity in a world that devalues the truth, disparages God's word, and promises self-fulfillment and happiness only through the assertion of undiluted personal autonomy. A man's true confidence is rooted in the wells of courage, and courage is evidence of character. In the end, <clears throat> a man's character is revealed in the crucible of everyday challenges. For most men, life will also bring moments when extraordinary courage will be required if he is to remain faithful and true. <clears throat> Moeller here is, again, building on a foundation of philosophy. C.S. Lewis said, courage isn't one of the virtues. It's every virtue at its testing point. Mm, that's good. You know, so it, it, it takes courage to be a one-woman man. It takes courage to not buy the latest iPhone when your old iPhone works fine and it would, you know, you, you don't have the money for it. Mm -hmm. It takes courage not to define yourself by your external realities of what clothes you wear, what, what, you know, what you drive, all these different things. Yeah. It takes courage to, to develop any virtue, prudence, temperance, self-control, any of those things. Absolutely. So men, be brave. I love it. First Corinthians, Paul's closing. One of the last things he tells them, act like men, right? Be courageous. Yeah. Last one, Sam. Last one, bringing it home. Biblical maturity sufficient to lead at some level in the church. A close look at many churches will reveal that a certain problem is the lack of biblical maturity among the men of the congregation and a lack of biblical knowledge that leaves men ill-equipped and completely unprepared to exercise spiritual leadership. Boys must know their way around the biblical text and feel at home in the study of God's word. They must stand ready to take their place as leaders in the local church. While God has appointed specific officers for his church, men who are specifically, especially gifted and publicly called, every man should fulfill some leadership responsibility within the life of the congregation. For some men, this means a less public role of leadership than it than is the case with others. In any event, a man should be able to teach someone and to lead in some ministry, translating his personal discipleship into the fulfillment of a godly call. There is a role of leadership for every man in every church, whether that role is public or private, large or small, official or unofficial. A man should know how to pray before others, to present the gospel, and to stand in the gap where a leader, where leadership is needed, where a leadership need is apparent. Yeah. Basically, what he's saying right here is some men are called to lead in in offices of the church, pastor, you know, elder, pastor, deacon, missional community leader. But all men are called to lead in some fashion. We could we would say women too here. Yeah. We're called to make disciples. Mm -hmm. And men, you're going to learn how to lay down your life and your desires by making disciples right now, even if you are not uh, married. That's right. And so men are called to know the Bible, to be making disciples, to be sharing the gospel with the lost. You know, like wherever you're going, thinking about how can I impact these people with the gospel? Mm -hmm. How can I bring these people into the kingdom? Obviously, God is the only one who can convert them. But how can I... can bring the gospel to them where they have, you know, they have to deal with it. They have to do something there. Right. Yeah. And so we, I'm thankful that over the past six years, 
we've had a lot of young men come into our church that were wandering, didn't know what to do. And we had some men step up and said, hey, come follow me as I follow Christ. And these young men have done that. And they've, you're one of them, yeah. right? Praise God. And, uh, you know, leading a family, took on responsibility, learning God's word, making disciples, leading missional communities. You go on to become a pastor. God has been so good. And now we've got so many great leaders at our church because five years ago, these men said, all right, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to accept this call yeah. of bib- biblical masculinity, biblical manhood, and I'm going to prayerfully start pursuing Jesus and reading my Bible and understanding theology and laying down my life and my desires. Stop being a fool on Friday nights, and I'm going to start going and make disciples. There's a lot at stake to, to make you want to step into that. If, if we don't have men stepping into these responsibilities in the home and the church, we, we start to see just a crumbling social environment in any arena, whether yeah. it be home, society, or church. Now, once somebody asked me, what can a man, he says this, how do you, um, how do you draw a line saying you are quote man enough? <laughs> I love it. Uh, you don't, I don't think anyone is man enough except for Jesus. Jesus is the perfect example of a man. Um, though I feel like I am personally a biblical man, I am still growing in my manhood. Mm -hmm. I'm still growing in my emotional maturity, growing in my financial responsibility, growing in all these different avenues. I'm can still, I'm still pursuing, you know, my worldview is still changing and shaping a little bit and getting sharper. I'm getting better, um, at sharing the gospel week in and week out. There's, there's, I'm just, I'm, I'm constantly growing. So I don't think you're ever man enough. Uh, until you're in glory, right? Right. Until you die and you're with Christ, then you're officially man enough. Um, <clears throat> and I think some some of these other questions are kind of we've already kind of answered them. What does this look like for a single guy? Um, it's going to look a little bit different, but you're married to Christ, and so Christ is is your spouse in a real sense right mm-hmm. now. I know it sounds weird, and so He's the one you're pursuing. And you're obeying him. You're listening to him. You're going to his word. You're submitting to him. You're repenting. You're letting him convict you. You're letting him challenge you. You're really going to his word and letting it mess you up. Yeah. And that's the that's the best way to say it. And then you're laying your life down um, for your brothers and sisters. And I'm just going to say, sing, if you're a single man and you're listening to this, <clears throat> you should be the first one volunteering for missional community. You should be the first one leading out missional nights. You should be the first one serving in your... Uh, wherever you're serving on mission, you should be the first one. You should be sacrificing the most. You should be giving the most time because I know in your mind you're busy and you may truly be busy. You're busier than you've ever been, but you don't know what busy is like until you have a wife and a family and greater responsibilities even in the church. And so I promise you, take on more responsibility and God will expand your capacity Mm -hmm. to lead. He will expand your capacity to carry weight as you're doing it. So lead, love your missional community, text them, call them, make disciples. Um, and so this is what it looks like, men. This is, uh, I think it's a pretty good article. Again, look it up, Al Mohler, The Marks of Biblical Manhood. You could write these out. You could pin them somewhere in your house where you look at them. You pray through them on a daily basis. And you just ask God, make me into this type of man. Mm-hmm. Make me into this type of man. Um Yep, I think that's about it. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so, guys, we uh, 
We appreciate you. All, let me say one other thing. If you're a young man and you want to be discipled, come to Sacred City. Step into Sacred City. Step into a missional community. Even ask. I had a, a, a man who was almost 40 years old a year and a half ago come to me and say, nobody's ever discipled me. My wife is far more spiritually mature than I am, and I need you to disciple me. He brought me a, a nice six-pack of beer, and I was like, you you know how to bribe you know how to bribe me. This is exactly what I want to do. And uh, I started pouring into that guy. That guy has grown by leaps and bounds in the past year and a half. He's leading a missional community now. He's been through Porterbrook. He, I mean, it's never too late to start. So ask somebody to lead you. Ask somebody to disciple you. Ask somebody to mentor you and step in. Guys, um, we love you. Pastor Sam and I both. We would love to um, help you become a man. That's what we're all about at Sacred City. So um, I think that's about it. Um, please like this podcast, share it guys. Um, it encourages me. I've been hearing lately cause we haven't done one in six weeks. Hey man, I missed the podcast. I'm like, Oh, okay. You actually listen to the podcast. You actually have thoughts about it. It's encouraging to us when we get responses. So share it, like us on Facebook, like us on uh, the podcast app or iTunes. And, uh, we will be bringing more of these to you in the future. God bless you guys. Mm-hmm.